you know, I really don't want any of these things to be turned into this aspirational story of like, oh, quit your job and write an open source library. It's like, yes, you can do that. But, you know, there's there are a lot of circumstances that go into that. How did the best machine learning practitioners get involved in the field? What challenges have they faced? What has helped them flourish? Let's ask them. Welcome to Learning from Machine Learning. I'm your host, Seth Levine. Hello and welcome to Learning from Machine Learning. On this episode, we have a very special guest, Ines Montani, the co-founder and CEO of Explosion, the company behind Spacey, which is an open source library that every natural language processing practitioner should know. Um, she's been the keynote speaker at many different Python and data science conferences around the world. Overall, just a rock star and inspiration in the field. Ines, thank you so much for, for joining me. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. I'll start off with this. Um, did you ever expect to be the CEO of a software company like Explosion? Nope. <laughs> I, I had no idea what I was ever going to be. Uh, I think even when I was younger, I kind of had no real concept of what it would actually be like to have like a job. Um, and yeah, definitely. If you told me that this is what I'll be doing, I, yeah, I would have been very confused. <laughs> um, so what initially attracted you to computer science, machine learning, explosion, all of this? Yeah, I think it's kind of, yeah, the combination of computers and in my case, especially language and um, teaching computers about language. So I've always programmed. I started out as a teenager on the internet, um, making websites. Like I um, found out that Microsoft Word let you make websites and then you could put these on the internet. Um, and there was some like web space included with our internet contract and so I uploaded a website that was super exciting and um, there was this whole online community of girls making websites doing design um, that I was super active in so I was mostly like an indoor teenager that was my main <laughs> hobby mm -hmm. um, and um, yeah so I didn't actually then go into computer science I don't really have the classical tech background because I don't know, at the time I didn't really see myself as a programmer. Like the only frame of reference I had was like, I don't know, the guys in, I don't know, computer class. And I really didn't see myself as part of that. Um, so I did communication science, media science and linguistics because language was also something I was always into. Um, I did Latin in school for like mm -hmm. a really long time because people told me like, hey, it's going to help you when you learn languages later on, which then... I never really did. I just stayed with English and Latin um, till the bitter end. So I didn't have to do, I think, chemistry or physics. Um, I you know, preferred Latin. And yeah, so that's kind of, um, yeah, that, that's kind of my background. And then in NLP, I found a way to really combine all of the stuff I'm passionate about um, and, you know, really making something useful for people. And um, yeah, that's kind of how it started when I met my co-founder, Matt. He had just been writing Spacey and was kind of, you know, right in the middle of it. And I found that really exciting. I learned that like, well, actually, computers don't learn grammar. It's all statistical, which made it even more interesting in some right. other way. And there was like so much to innovate 
at the time. It was very early. Most software was really just written for research. And there was really this gap um, of you know, a piece of software tool that was really designed for practical use with like visualizations, good documentation, and um, really, you know, a practical design. And that's kind of what we ended up doing with Spacey. Very cool. That's really exciting. Um, two fun facts. Um, <laughs> when I was in college, I did engineering. And one of the reasons that I stuck with engineering was because I didn't need to take a language. <laughs> I ended up taking more computer languages, which, you know, sort of count. And back, I don't even remember when, I guess, starting middle school, they, you know, you have to choose a language um, in the education system. So they would say like Spanish, French, um, or Latin. I definitely did not sign up for Latin. And my teacher pulled me over to the side and was like, I think it would be a good idea if if you take if you take Latin. Um yeah, it's kind of a special type of uh, person. Like I think there is something nerdy to Latin as well, like um, who, yeah, did Latin for a very long time. Yeah. Um, absolutely. I think, well, it helps you sort of break down words. Um, it helps you, you know, understand, you know, yeah, I guess where, where, where some of these, where some of the words come from. And then I found there was just like a lot of memorization, um, when I, when I was doing Latin. Um, yeah. Yeah. We also, we, we would pretend to speak Latin to each other and like mess with the other kids who were doing French and like, didn't, uh, didn't get it and really thought we actually learned to speak Latin in Latin class. <laughs> yes. Um, it gives you the occasional Roman saying that you could throw around. But yeah, um, a dead language, they say. No one's speaking it today, but it is, the, you know, the ba the basics for a lot um, of language, of the Romance languages, which is very nice. Um, in the position that you were in, you were able to sort of you know, when you were probably developing websites back, you know, when you were younger, it was like HTML and CSS. That's what it was for me. And then we've seen sort of the evolution of the web into what it is today, which, you know, which is, you know, using JavaScript frameworks and, you know, all, all of these things where a lot of the control for some of the aspects are maybe, you know, you're kind of giving it up for some of like things are more, automated, if, if you know what I mean. But if, if you could speak a little bit to uh, the changes that you've seen in, in yeah. web development. Yeah. I mean, back in the day, it was definitely, you could just look at the source code and, you know, really see how everything works. And that's kind of, you know, not something you get easily get these days. Um, and, you know, there is a lot more complexity around it, but it also is solving more problems like um you know we kind of come full circle with like static site generation like our sites became so complex and slow and that we now generate them statically and it kind of reminds me of yeah back in the day i had this blog um software called gray matter i don't know if anyone remembers this maybe people who listen to this do and it would it basically cgi script that would um then generate static sites so it was like a super old school static site generator and it's kind of you know i also use the static site generator now for my website but right. it's all very different but actually i think what you, you could really see a lot of parallels um between like the journey of the web and how things have developed there 
and machine learning um, because, you know, it's the same, um, you know, considerations about like lowering the floor versus raising the ceiling. It's like easier than ever to um, start a website like your grandma can just do it um, <laughs> using Squarespace or whatever else there is. Um, and that's like that makes it, you know, really easy to get started. But at the same time, there's a huge demand for web developers and there's constantly, um, you know, new developments. The technology is changing, even, you know, browsers and all of that. So, um, you know, just because it's easy to make a website now doesn't mean web developers are obsolete. And similarly, just because it's easier and easier to do machine learning now um, doesn't mean we don't need machine learning developers anymore or developers in general. Um, if anything, we need more of them because there's just so much more to do. Absolutely. Um, I can definitely relate to that. Um, seeing, you know, the current status of machine learning and people are pushing, you know, auto, auto ML and it's, it's easy to create a model. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's hard to get it into production, but if you're using, um, well, I should say harder, but if you're using something like auto ML and everything goes smoothly, then you're all set, right? But if once you do run into a problem and you will eventually run into a problem because context changes, right? The uses of yeah. a model change over time. That's when you really need machine learning practitioners who have a deep understanding of the field and what and what's going on you need to yeah, and also what they're doing like with machine learning because often um you know you don't just do machine learning for the sake of machine learning there's like a deeper thing you want to solve and then it's like you know the hard part is in trying to you know breaking down that business problem into something you can actually solve and really understanding the domain or like yes we all really want to neatly put the world into categories but it just doesn't work like that so i feel like you know by the time you get to the point where you just have to press train most of the you know parts are already done right the the, the heavy lifting is done when you're when you're up to the training part right because well you assume that you already have your data set <laughs> yeah but yeah it... and then like nothing you know nothing works and uh your model isn't learning and then you have to kind of yeah you know, go this... back and figure or... out why yeah or the scariest thing you start you get very high performance metrics like too high <laughs> yeah yeah it's yeah. like our 99 accuracy you're like ah oh, shit something's broken that's something not. Yeah. yeah or it's like hey if your evaluation is shit like cool yeah you can always get like really good results um yeah yeah absolutely so you know speaking of you know solving a business problem and applying natural language processing to you know businesses that's that's you know spacey and explosion written all, all over it. Um, me personally, um, I've used Spacey when I was really getting into natural language processing, say four or five years ago, I was watching one of your videos um, and I was using Displacey, which is one of my favorite tools Yay. still. I think it's still uh, incredible. Yeah, um, it's, I had a lot of fun building that and yeah. Yeah, um, being able to visualize what you're doing the nice thing about it was that it was easy to explain it to other stakeholders, which was really cool because there's so much that we're that you know that that we do in machine learning. It's kind of hard to explain it to other people, but I think that tool and you know other 
other things in, in the space of universe, like you can sort of bring people in better. I think Prodigy, I mean, even though I guess it's, it's really created for developers, if you want to be labeling different things, you can show them, you know, what yeah. you can show them the process of how, of how it's done. Um, I remember vividly the first time that I showed Displacey with named entity recognition to somebody who is doing media and um, things like that, his jaw dropped. He's like, this is exactly what, what I want to do. We need to be extracting all of this information. So in a way, I guess, thank you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, it's, this is, it's so nice. Like it's always, of course, I know that like, hey, people are using our software and I think they find it valuable, but it always kind of hits differently. Like to actually talk to someone who's like, oh, using your software. And I'm like, oh my God, you use my code. That's so cool. And also if you do open source, like a lot of what you see is mostly on, you know, in the issue tracker when people have problems and nobody goes on the issue tracker and just says like, Hey, everything worked. I have no problem. Like, you know, that's the point. It also clogs up an issue tracker. I'm not saying people should be doing this, but of course that means, yeah, you only get like, you know, some sort of view of um, what people find difficult. And yeah, so it's really nice to hear from people who are like, yeah, it worked. Yeah. There's a new feature for GitHub. There should there should be a new one, right? Where you can give some claps or some positive feedback for the amazing work that people are doing in open source. And when you think about a um, a library like Spacey, so there wasn't really like that m many libraries that were out there that you could really use for production. I mean. I'm not even gonna get started on NLTK. Like I, never... I mean, it just had a very different purpose. Like this was a good example of a library that was, you know, designed for research, teaching. You have a lot of different implementations and algorithms, and it's kind of just a very different focus. But, right. um, but yeah, basically, very consciously, um, kind of went the other way. Um, yeah, took a very opinionated approach. Yeah, which is great for real world. Um, so I've been able to use Spacey for everything from tokenization and lemmatization, um, breaking things down by sentences with the beautiful name Sentisizer. <laughs> yeah, we always yeah have a lot of fun naming our components. Yes. Um, no stemming, which I, I, I like that, actually. Um, and yeah, all of the amazing new things that you guys have developed over the years. I mean, SpanCat is incredible. Um, and now with Spacey LLM, um, it's, it's really just amazing to be able to have a pipeline um, that you can depend on, that you can extract information that you need, that you can, you know, process text, you know, any type of text in a way where you can extract meaningful information from it so yeah. it's been very valuable for the work that that, that we do at uh at, at my company and the work that i do um oh, yeah it's, that's it's nice great. to hear um but yeah i mean these the pipeline approach i do think that's something you know that kind of makes spacey special that spacey has always focused on and this idea of like hey often what you're trying to do is a series of steps that you want to apply in order and these steps can be powered by pretty much anything you might have um, something really simple and rule-based um, from good old regular expressions or spacey's token rules where you can really match on uh, different predictions by a model um, or, you know, you might want to have like a regular deep learning model powering the component, or nowadays also a large language model via Spacey LLM that basically behaves exactly like 
the regular named entity recognizer and lets you get started quickly. And it really kind of solves that problem of getting to a prototype stage. Because before that, hey, it still needed like, um, yeah, serious annotation effort to get to something that might not even work that you can improve. And so mixing and matching these different components and techniques, I think is really important for practical use cases because yeah, a lot of them don't very neatly, you know, turn into like an end-to-end -end prediction problem that you can just solve. It's often, you know, it's often always a combination, including like really specific business logic. And we think that that's where the pipeline can really shine. Absolutely. Um, I mean, like you were saying before, it always stems from the business understanding and understanding like what problem are you trying to solve? I think, and we'll, we'll get into it later, but like people are distracted a bit by like the shiny new object, right? But when it comes down to solving problems, um, heuristics and regular expressions and, and rules, yeah, they might not, you know, solve everything and they might not be the most sophisticated and the newest thing out there, but it'll give you a really good start. And having yeah. that as part of your system is, uh, is, is or just really... the baseline. Like oh, you want to yeah. have, you know, you want to know what you have to beat. Like, you know, yes, you can train a fancy machine learning model, but if it doesn't perform better than some like dictionary lookups, then what are you really doing? And yeah. I think also the ability to teach by example and, um, you know, supervised learning, people often see the need for annotated examples as this obstacle that like, oh, we need to avoid at all costs when actually for a lot of use cases, especially, you know, practical ones where you know exactly what you want the computer to do. It's like an opportunity. Like we have this new way of showing the computer what we wanted to do by showing it examples where we know the answer. And that's like really cool. And that's really effective for a lot of ways. If you, you know, get it, if, if you have a good feeling for how to create these examples, um, this is still for a lot of use cases, like the absolute best, uh, most straightforward way to get something done. Yeah, absolutely. I think sometimes people want to find like a trick, you know, like some trick to do it. Um, I don't know, like use unsupervised learning or something like, but like just spend a week you know, labeling data sometimes, yeah. and then you can do a really good job of creating a model, at least like same, like get the data and then use basic methods, get your baseline and see where you're at. Um, you know, a scikit-learn, you know, yeah. support vector machine or, you know, you know, one of the simpler, more traditional models, it's has its own pipeline, which you can get into production much faster. And you don't have to be reliant on either an extremely large model, which has its own trade-offs, or an API call, which you know you never you, you kind of want to re reduce yeah. any API calls. Um, yeah, and also if you're really only interested in like a really small specific thing, not even small, but like a specific thing, there's like so much, yeah, so much that you don't need of like a really massive model, and so. I think the kind of the trick here is to see, hey, how can we kind of combine the best of both worlds and take um, what's there in these very large models and their representation and what they know about the world and the language and use that to then train a model that's more specific, that knows a lot more about what you're trying to do um, and a bit less about the language and the world. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so having, you know, someone who's, you know, co-founder of Spacey and now, you know, Spacey v3 
version three was released, say about two years ago. Um, how have the goals, if the goals have changed, or how have the how has the design changed? Um, how have you seen like the expansion and evolution of spacing? Yeah, so I, I would say we've actually always really stayed true to our main goals, which is provide this opinionated approach and like the best implementation of a given component that's like optimized for real world usage. So it needs to be accurate enough, it needs to be fast enough, um, it needs to run on all kinds of Python versions and platforms and just have a um, you know unified API that's like easy to program and work with. So that's that's always been the core philosophy. And we've kind of kept that up over the evolution of machine learning, like from linear models that were like super fast to deep learning, different types of model implementations, and now also large language models where you kind of have to do the same work in a way like you have to look at what's there in research what works how can we improve these methods and before we did that for model implementations and now we're doing that for prompts and really optimize those for information extraction and like what do we need to do named entity recognition because um even though you know if you just scroll through your linkedin feed you might think like oh nlp is solved um like there are actually a lot of you know a lot of things that even we haven't quite figured out how to get that information out of even the largest uh, large language models um so that's kind of always been what we've been doing but of course you know library has also changed over the years, like we've improved a lot of things. Um, we also implemented new components that kind of address different needs people have. Like people really want to extract spans from text and like arbitrary spans and a named entity recognizer that's like designed to be really sensitive to boundaries just isn't the right fit for that because it works so well because it's so sensitive to boundaries, which is great for person names, but not right. for arbitrary spans. So we built the span cat component. Um, we also worked on other things like co-reference resolution, which actually solves a lot of, um, you know, problems in, you know, extracting relations from text. Like you want to know which pronouns refer to like which person and have these, create these clusters of like, this is kind of the same person or object. Um, so stuff like that. And I think also with like the growing complexity of machine learning, like one trade-off or you know one challenge we've always faced is like on the one hand we wanted to be really easy to get started and have defaults that make sense out of the box and actually if you want to do NER you shouldn't have to think about the model implementation and what to um, choose it's just like it should just work out of the box but the library also needs to grow with you as you your needs get more specific and you want to do more sophisticated things um, and so you know, we want everything to be customizable and like powerful and it doesn't um, power, like it doesn't just mean simple, like it also needs to have this extensibility and in space right. E3, we introduced the config files that really save all defaults um, and all settings for a model and that you can kind of yeah exchange with your team and really make sure you run reproducible uh, training runs um, and also the, the project system. That's also actually something that's very popular whenever even we talk to companies or introduce them to it, it really like changes the workflow to have like a project structure, to have like a file that kind of works a bit like a make file and really have orchestrate all the different steps um, that need to happen um, as part of a project, because that's also part of it. It's not just the machine learning model. It's also the whole workflow 
around it basically right that makes a lot of sense um yeah i you know when you're a data scientist machine learning engineer whatever you want to call it um software engineering best practices are so important and seeing a library like spacey where it's clearly like thought about you know how these things are going to be done and you can you know you could read it you can understand it you're able to modify it and i guess it's sort of it's a library that's meant for developers you know in a lot of in a lot of you know i guess all libraries are but it's like it's really thought about made for developers for developers um so you can take this pipeline and you can do so many things with it um i mentioned some of the use cases before but i'm also thinking how I've done like language detection, you know, using Spacey and, you know, the space, yeah, like a the, plug spa in. the Spacey yeah. universe, something in the Spacey yeah. universe. Yeah, yeah. I have to get more into those config files. Um, I applied it to one of my more recent projects, um, like outside of Spacey, but yeah, Spacey's config files, um, that's something that I'm writing yeah. down. We also have a, we, we released that config system as like a separate library called Confection. So oh, okay. that was basically, we had it in Spacey before and people liked the concept. And so we were like, hey, how can we, um, yeah, make this available as a more general purpose tool? So even if you want to use it for other projects. And the nice thing about it is that it, it doesn't only have like values in kind of Python's config parser format. You can also refer to registered functions. And so you can really build up this tree of objects like, hey, here's this object that needs to be passed into that function as an argument, and you can define all of it. It uses Pydantic under the hood for validation and you know type checking. We have a VS Code plugin for spacey config files, so you can actually like, you know, hover over like a variable or registered function, and it tells you what it is. Uh, so it's, there's a lot of cool stuff you can do with modern Python, and I think especially this kind of these improvements to the developer experience that close the gap between prototyping and production are really important. Like you don't want to have this workflow where, you know, it's, it's fine to work in notebooks and experiment, but like if yeah, you have this really rough prototyping workflow and then someone needs to take that and translate it for production, that really holds uh, teams back. And so if you can have a workflow that works for prototyping and that you can also ship to production, that's like a huge win. Yeah, that's that's the dream. And I mean, it, it's so tough, I think, because in machine learning, it's like in the data science, in the feasibility and exploration phase of, and tinkering phase of a project, like you need to have all of this flexibility. And yeah. then experimentation is obviously very important, trying out different parameters. But then when you finally are settled on something, things can be a little bit more narrow, or like more narrow. And um, you have to get it, you know, into production. It needs to work, you know, every time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, and it's like, yeah, it sucks if you then find out, oh, it doesn't actually, you know, work on uh, those types of machines or it doesn't, yeah, yeah it you doesn't don't... perform. It's not fast enough. And then it's like, yep, that's hard to fix if, you know, you started off like not caring about this at all. Right. You run into some bug or... I call it Python dependency hell. <laughs> yes, oh God. Yeah, that's also, we're doing, like, there is a lot of um, thought, like, that goes into that as well at our end. Like, we actually, we have a lot of, a lot of the libraries we depend on our own. So we implement, like, we have this library that handles serialization because we often ended up being, like, I don't know, ending up 
with broken spacey installations because of some dependency and then there's some things we don't like so we're like okay let's like vendor some of these great open source tools um, maybe also take those that aren't maintained anymore and update them a bit and really control our own dependencies to prevent as much as possible that like people end up in these weird yeah dependency hell scenarios because that right. really sucks um yeah. so what's what's next for spacey and explosion um how are you thinking about you know i guess you know where where you are now and yeah what what expansions there would be yeah so we definitely have um some component in mind for spacey that we want to develop for more you know practical tasks like around relation extraction and also there are a lot of um you know semantic things like there, there's a lot of or semantic role labeling for example there's there's like a lot of that stuff that's actually really really useful and addresses a lot of the problems people have but um it's also some of them are tricky to develop because you know we need good benchmark data sets and a lot of the stuff that comes out of academia isn't um especially you know useful if you really want to find out hey does this solve real problems so that's also why we like <clears throat> working together with um, you know companies occasionally and doing some of these consulting pipeline development projects because we get to see what people are actually doing and we also get to use our own library which is really important because right. um yeah we have this whole document that we call like uh, i think collateral um contributions that came out of say consulting projects um where i don't know yeah you build something you're like why is this so shit and who wrote this and it's like oh me yeah okay we should fix that <laughs> and there's a lot of yeah a lot of these things you really only realize when you use um the library yourself so um yeah there's definitely kind of components there's also a lot more work around like large language models and really you know how to how to go beyond just like hey using an LLM as a like dialogue um system or you know kind of that as the last step like if you can have like this large language model that's surprisingly good at stuff then we can also distill that down into something smaller better faster private um and you know yes that takes some work but they're like they're use cases where this is absolutely worth it and so yeah we kind of trying to take it like one step further and not just stop at like oh yeah, LLM is like decent given it wasn't trained for it and it's yeah, kind of cheap via an API. So that's like, yeah, that's kind of that's not good enough. And those are the use cases we're really interested in. Yeah. LLMs, they're kind of just like pretty good at everything. Yeah. You know? but yeah. <laughs> and I think a lot of these workflows are workflows of training task specific models that I described of like, hey, using an LLM to label some data to then train, um, you know, a smaller, um, you know, BERT-based model um, from those examples that really just targets that one specific thing um, and is better, faster, um, more accurate and so on. Like those are tricks that like people are using, but it's still pretty difficult for people who are just getting started. Like it is e easy to just, you know, use ChatGPT, but um, we're really trying to basically make these workflows, these more advanced workflows, more yeah, accessible to people who maybe don't come in with this like deep uh, machine learning expertise. And that's actually also where um, Prodigy and Prodigy Teams fits in. So Prodigy Teams, we just started um, our private beta and that's really a SaaS product that takes Spacey and Prodigy into the cloud and enables these types of workflows um, because nice. you, know, you wanna experiment together, you wanna 
take a you know start with the prototype collect some data train models try out different things evaluate and also label data with the help of all kinds of different automations from models to rules um, and do that collaboratively in a team with different people and kind of have this shared state um, and that's really where prodigy teams fits in and also providing the data privacy, which is, um, you know, a big part of our or core of our stack that, hey, you can run it yourself and it will have this uh, cluster component that you can run in your own cloud. So no data has to um, ever, you know, go to our servers. And um, yeah, and also I, think, I believe it shouldn't, like a lot of, so right. many of our users are working in finance, medical, insurance, lots of sensitive use cases where, yeah, you can't just send that data to an API or upload it to some random startups cloud. And right. we think that's fine. And yeah, so we built an architecture that supports that. Very cool. So that's, um, you know, it's like, it's similar to what you were saying before, you know, designing solutions for, you know, many different companies. Um, and then what I found, you know, the startup that I'm at, we are trying to develop systems that can work for many different companies who are in different industries with different contexts, yep. with different corpuses of data, with different terminology that's being used. Um, but yeah, sort of creating this system that can be used for anyone. So it's like creating this generalized thing that can be applied to particular com to particular companies. So it sounds like a solution like that where you can combine Spacey and Prodigy that's a system. other things yeah or, it's yeah, also or... because yeah yeah because you're hosting this cluster you could run python on it it you know it's automatically turned into a form in the web ui so you kind of have all the advantages of like a SaaS product but still have retained that scriptability and yeah exactly i think it's also important to meet companies where they are and that's also something we've always wanted to do like even yes they are like super hot um, visionary ideas and a lot of those are cool and we also have some of those but um, I think you know it's also important to build something that can be useful for people right now and help them in the transition into maybe some other technology um, instead of saying like oh here we built some you know something completely different that um, you know you all should adopt now which you know really isn't you know what fits into people's workflows or it's like how we call it, like it's fine. We often, we do sometimes reinvent the wheel, but like you shouldn't reinvent the whole road and kind of try to own uh, that, own the whole thing. And that's that's kind of how we see it. I think, yeah, it's fine to reinvent the wheel. Right. Sometimes. Sometimes. Um, it's funny that you say that. I was just talking about that with someone, but <laughs> you mentioned... And you've spoken about some really interesting things about creating a software startup. Um, so you gave a keynote. I know it was probably now four or five years ago. Five years ago. Five. That, I, that I loved. That I love. I listened to it again. Um, how to ignore most startup advice and build a decent software business. What a title for a talk. <laughs> um, now, you know, five years later... Um, can we revisit some of the, you know, the misconceptions or, you know, how you still feel about the misconceptions about running a startup? Yeah. I mean, I think it's still, it's kind of, you know, these ideas from that talk are, you know, really kind of the DNA 
um, you know, of our company. And a lot of that has also carried through, even though, you know, we've grown in between and, and um, you know, the, the team's changed. We also, we are working on a SaaS product. So we did take some venture funding for, you know, that product and there are, you know, pros and cons of that. But I still think, for example, you know, one move we made very early on in the company is to say, hey, let's release a paid product kind of as this transition from, you know, Spacey, which is fully open source to, um, you know, something that's more of a premium thing and, you know, get some revenue from that and see like, hey, does this work? Is this viable? Can this be, um, you know, sustainable? And that's um, because, yeah, again, when we're starting out, we're like, yes, there are reasons you might need to run at a loss and, you know, make sense if you need upfront capital, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be the status quo. You can also do stuff that makes sense, create value and people will pay for that. And companies like open source, not because it's free, it's because it's open and you can work with it and script with it. And that's, um, that's what it's about. And um, yeah, there's definitely, yeah, there are definitely ways in which, yeah, we've done a lot of things very differently from, you know, your typical startup we're like you know we're also quite reasonable um in you know we often i think we're seen as you know in general if you you know on the scale of startups we're like you know you know we may be a bit too reasonable sometimes <laughs> and not visionary enough but um you know we also want to do a thing that makes sense and that's important and especially at the moment we're also looking at more ways to really make our open source development more sustainable and really, you know, self-funded because um, it's like, you know, we don't want to have that dependent on a venture outcome. That's not, you know, that's not great. And there are ways um, this can be done. So that's something, you know, we're exploring. Yeah. <clears throat> the, um, you know, the business model of startups, there's a tendency, I would say a couple of years ago, um, where it was all about growth right? Yeah. Growth, 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 growth. And that comes at the trade-off of sustainability, right? Yeah. And that's something that you, you know, were, you, you know, that you're, you're mentioning and sustainability, working for sustainability is a business model that will work in any climate, right? In, in, in any economic climate, whether VC is hot or VC, you know, VC funding is cold, whether, um, you know, the economy is hot or the economy is cold, which I guess is sort of related, but you can't go wrong. <laughs> yeah. Or what the current trends are, like they are, you know, it's, that's also something where it's like, in a way, yes, if you raise funding, you always sort of, you know, dependent on what, you know, whether VCs like you or what they're into the moment, but it's also, you know, there have been periods where it's like, oh, this is kind of the new hot trend and that's what you should be doing. And we never wanted to be in a position where we really have to yeah, completely change what we're doing and pivot all the time to, you know, meet whatever, you know, people find attractive at the moment. Like we want to do what makes sense for like our customers and users. And um, that's, uh, yeah. And I think also there's so much value that's, that can easily be destroyed if you, you know, if you really go down that narrow path where it's like either big or bust and where there's kind of, no in between or way out to say, okay, even if you have to, you know, downsize and, um, you know, you could, you know, you can be profitable again in some ways. And it's not like, oh, you didn't bet everything on like your growth. And then if it fails, then well, that's like all this value that you've created is like just gone. Right. And yeah, we've always found that 
yeah, frustrating and like counterproductive. And especially if you do open source, which, you know, is creating so much value and it's supposed to like, you know, kind of be the opposite of that. Yeah, I think it, it's an interesting, um, you know, con concept where explosion it, it appears it's seen i mean it, it does it had a, a clear you know pretty clear vision right to bring nlp to 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 industry and to bring in investors would almost create an unnecessary pressure i mean i know that you did a small a small raise which you know yeah. you do what you do what you got to do to 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 build in a way that you're comfortable with um but yeah investors you know taking major equity stake in your company you start your goals start to change a little bit. You know, you're thinking about what am I going to do to get to the next fundraising round, as opposed to what am I going to do to provide value for my customer, you know, for my users, which you know, Spacey and an explosion clearly keeps keeps that in mind. Yeah. Which uh, you know, I yeah. I, I mean, look at the same time, it's like okay, if you go for like the venture path, like you know, what you are building is a very large company and you are kind of aiming at that sort of outcome, which I still think, hey, if you're in developer tools, if you're in enterprise tools, that's totally realistic. You can, you know, there's a lot of money that you can make if you build things that are valuable um, and good. So um, it's like, yes, that is that is kind of, you know, a side of, um, a side of things. And, um, you know, you can, yeah, I guess you do, you know, you do have to deliver something and for example you know right like right now we're right in right before launching our next product and you know this is not you know we can't really raise at the moment and that like um you know that sucks and that's you know a, a problem because we need to um you know get the product out and make sure we can keep um the rest of our um work sustainable and you know there is kind of a dependency there that's like um you know not always ideal but at the same time we also you know we have customers we have users we have revenue and we can we have like well, a lot of what we have is open source and we have a, we have products we have like things there yeah. and um yeah we do have graphs that go kind of up like this as well <laughs> but um you know there are other graphs that are like you know maybe not like woo growth and that's you know that's fine we know you know we're doing something useful and that's yeah. um no that's also at least important. Yeah, I mean, I think it's about finding that healthy balance, right, between velocity and growth and sustainability. Um, there's a really interesting point that you make in that talk where you talk about, well, the team that you had building sort of a software engineering team, and you mentioned something called T-shaped and, and tree-shaped. <laughs> um, you know, and people or, or employees, skills, yeah. skill sets. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Can you can you exp can you talk about uh you know T shape versus versus tree shaped and how it yeah. applies? Yeah. So I think T shape. I mean, I think that that is kind of a common phrase to represent like yeah our skills where you have this like strong base in the middle and then kind of you know these two other or like other um, things that you're like less strong at but that you also have and that's kind of you know that is desirable. Uh, for many roles but um yeah i've always found this metaphor to be like too it's too static and it's also you know it doesn't really um represent skills very well so i like to think of it more as like you know this tree and you, yes you have a solid base and then they're like all these little branches 
And, um, you know, they can also grow, like you can grow a new branch if you have to branch out into um, some other area um, and branches can overlap. Like if you think of your team as like this little forest, like you can yeah. have like some trees overlapping and maybe then, you know, you have a tree that's a bit, um, you know, covers some areas that the other trees don't cover. And, um, you know, maybe it's also something I identify with because that is how I see you know, myself and my background, like, um, I feel like I kind of had to create a job or role for myself because I don't really fit neatly into many of the traditional software engineering, whatever roles, there's just like all kinds of different things I can do. And somehow I make that fit together. And actually, similarly, my co-founder Matt, like in the beginning, we, we really did most of the work. It was just us for quite a while. And we really, we were able to build like the you know the uh, prototype or MVP of Prodigy, just the two of us, because together we had like everything needed um, right. for that, and that is that is an advantage you can have in a small team. And we kind of try to keep that up as we've grown the team. But it's also you know people will argue like, hey, that's not very scalable, and that is you know true. You can't even just you know scaling like workflows where you have like two people who happen to be, have these very complementary skill sets working together, trying to replicate that with more people is really hard. And that's also something, you know, we found hard. And it's not because like, oh, we're so amazing or something. It's more about like, okay, there is, you know, there's this very specific combination and like, you know, combination of instincts that we had that worked. And then how do you, you know, replicate that with other trees? Um, right. It's... Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like a really special um, relationship where you're able to complement each other and then the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Um, yep. And speaking about like that forest metaphor, I that's what I've been thinking about. Like, you know, the teams that I've worked with, um, you know, how it, we're not just these static entities, right? Yeah. We are these things that are growing through time, changing our skill sets changing our context is changing you know so many of the so many of these things and then i do i think about like the trees the intertwining right and like you're yeah. able to like create create this in, incredible thing and you also bring up you know this it's sort of like a mindset also where it's not static um you have this growth mindset skills aren't fixed skills you're able to improve them over time and I think that's what has helped me think about hiring and building a, mm. a building a data science team is finding, you know, people that are able to do that, right? If you can find problem solvers, if you can find people that like don't necessarily like fit into a particular box. Um, and I can relate to that also. Like yeah. what you know, <laughs> what, what you were saying, like I there's many things, right, that I can do. And I think it's important for a startup also, where, yeah, you know. For me, I, I started out as the data scientist, so like anything numbers, oh, was you know go 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 to go to go to me, <laughs> and it's like yeah, you know, okay, <laughs> it's not just like anything, right? Um, but yeah, but uh, then you also did, did design, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I did um, lots of graphic design and yeah, web, web design. So it's like something funny. We have these emojis uh in as part of our product. And we wanted like a holiday special. Um, so somehow it was me. I was the data scientist that was creating these holiday special emojis that then went into production and, you know, whatever hundreds of, you know, users saw 
but it's nice um you know to be able to think about things from different perspectives um i think that gives you a really it's the healthy way of doing projects and you can kind of zoom in and zoom out and, you know, yeah. do different types of things. Um, yeah. So where, where to go from here? I mean, we've talked about so many things. Um, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's talk about, um, here's a good one. What's like, a instead of not most, but one of the most innovative ways that you've seen spacey use or unexpected ways that you've seen spacey use they could be the same they could be different yeah i mean there's there like you know there's so many like it's actually also you know it's a question i get asked like you know sometimes and it's like oh i don't always have like all the like super mind-blowing like um use case like you know there's really a lot in like um small details but you know if i think about it um also you know machine learning more general like it also comes up a lot with like prodigy we had people now people working with like horses or cows in a barn and you know all these everyday life things where you're like oh wow yeah okay sure yes you can detect is the cow sick or something like that and that's like oh that's important or these machine general machine learning use cases of um i don't know trying to predict how many meals you need on you know given flight to reduce food waste um and i find these these types of things super interesting and there, there are a lot of them also in you know nlp recommendation systems where like just getting the model like 1% more accurate or half a percent more accurate really translates to like millions and, um, you know, good, like, you know, really significant impact. Um, or also what I really like is stuff, you know, in journalism or investigative journalism, like there's a, um, like years and years ago, um, I don't know if you remember the net neutrality um, debate, um, I think, yeah, in the US. And then it turned out that yeah. like all these like letters that were, you know, supposedly written um, in the name of like dead people or people who never sent these letters, like, um, you know, being like, um, you know, advocating, um, you know, against um, right. like, um, you know, freedom on the internet, basically. Um, and there was a data scientist who actually I think used like Back in the day, it was mostly word vectors. I think also using Spacey and was able to prove that like, oh, these, you know, these letters are all like fake and they're very similar and they're like right. automatically generated. And on top of that, also these people don't exist or, um, you know, are dead. And yeah. that really like an investigative case where like, hey, the technology was used to really, um, you know, show something or uncover something um important and um i think also you know there are probably a lot of use cases i don't know about in like a lot of these leaks and all of these data amounts are getting bigger and bigger and there is a lot in there and it's way more than the person can read so um right. i think using nlp there is um you know pretty exciting and um yeah very important yeah. so yeah Ab yeah absolutely um being able to, I mean, that's the power of natural language processing, right? Being able to take like endless amounts of data. I mean, you know, these models now are reading more data, more text than anyone could in like, what do they say? Like 40 lifetimes or, you know, some, some yeah. ridiculous statistic like that. Yeah, but that's also why models, you know, the, in, the text and everything, text grows faster than like computers get more efficient that was actually there was even really motivated like 
even spacey and like a lot of um my co-founder Matt's like philosophy like to program or like programming and how he you know started writing his code like when I think when he was still doing his PhD it was kind of um yeah his advisor had this idea that like well the the internet grows faster like text grows much faster like we can't you know can't just sit around and wait for computers to get more efficient um we need to be smarter than that and um yeah that's yeah. kind of how Matt became randomly became known for writing like super fast and efficient software from you know being a linguist right I'm sure it's even greater now but I know a couple of years ago there I mean I don't know many statistics are made up but they say they said um you know the amount of data that was created in the last two years is greater than the amount of data that was created in the last hundred like hundred years before it like some, some you know ridiculous yeah. statistic like that which just shows how important you know this this type of work is yeah um a more philosophical question if you don't mind um maybe what do you view as the difference between natural language processing um and natural language understanding uh yeah i mean there's one of these uh like you know definition terminology uh questions but like i don't know i, can, I guess i can try to approach it from a philosophical point of view rather than like um i don't know i guess it's also it's worth mentioning that like yeah that this the terminology gets a bit vague and like um you know previously stuff like text generation that's generally seen as part of natural language processing, even though, you know, intuitively you would think like processing is really a lot more predictive and information extraction, but that's also all under that umbrella now. Um, and I'm sure, you know, there are official definitions. Um, so I don't want anyone to, you know, listen and be like, ah, um, it not, it's not meant to be a gotcha. Well, it's not no, meant no, to be a gotcha. Like, yeah, but you know, I'm always, I'm always trying to, you know, in even in talks I do and everything, I always try to optimize for the like, well, actually, um, point that may or right. may not come up. But, um, but yeah, I do think natural language processing. Yeah, you know, it's kind of all, you know, all the technology, all the different, you know, techniques from information extraction, text generation, and so on, and um, you know, natural language understanding. It's more like, you know, the goal um, of what, you know, you're building, like natural language understanding pipelines, for example. You know, you use, right. basically uses natural language processing techniques to help you build natural language understanding pipelines. Right. I don't know well, if that makes sense. No, that does. It does. <laughs> but what I might I... be wrong. Like, it's, again, I'm just like, you know, yes, I'm a person on a podcast, but I'm like just saying things. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all right? Aren't we all? Um, the point that I was gonna make was, um, well, yeah, I mean, processing and understanding. Oh, this was it is that I love the companies, or like someone will say, No, that company they don't do NLP, they do NLU. I'm like, oh. Like what? Like I, I never really, uh, I never really understood that, right? Yeah, but because... you kind of need to, I mean, I guess you need a P for the U, yeah. I wholeheartedly agree yeah. um oh i and... guess the human can you know maybe everything you know in that sense like if it's just a person like we do natural language understanding all the time <laughs> without true. doing natural language processing so um <laughs> yeah i'm not well i don't even know right maybe i think <laughs> maybe we do have to sort of process it to, to in order to understand you have to process yeah, what does understanding mean there you go how could we understand what understanding do we means? ever understand anything <laughs> do we really yes. understand yeah the only thing i know is that i know nothing right 
<laughs> that's like yeah full circle yes. philosophy yeah um in the industry now there's so much hype right like like what you were saying before um you know it appears on social media like influencers basically um that all the problems are solved yeah. by by large language models i'm curious um from 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 your perspective how do you view the gap between the hype you know that's the frenzy that's been going on i i would say since like the launch of chat gpt but you know now gpt4 has been out for months um and and the reality of machine learning and and ai yeah i mean there are different ways either to look at it of course you have like you know a lot of you know new experts that i don't know previously were experts in the metaverse and before that experts in blockchain and um you know now they're like large language model experts and that's like it's beware beware all, <laughs> all other categories so it's like yes there is a lot of like um you know hype happening for like you know very different motives but of course one thing that's kind of clear and different here is that it's really one of the first times that like, um, you know, the, a really good version of the technology has been like so accessible even to, you know, I don't even like say like not lay people, like people are not like developers and just, um, you know, everyone um, has used ChatGPT and knows it and, um, you know, can actually experience like uh, what a model can do, even though, you know, just some, you know, specific capacity or specific things for everyday life and that right. is different from you know a lot of other releases and um you know other discussions um in the past and there are also things that like well work surprisingly well and it's like you know really just making the thing bigger and bigger and bigger really you know makes a difference it's kind of one of these things it's like well yeah some but like somebody just went and did like open ai and you know others just went and did that and we're like oh how about we make this like even bigger and it's like hey that it works and it's like you know it's surprising um you know how well it works but then you know there's kind of there's also the difference there is this difference between like well what what do you want to do with it like you know you can make it generate stuff but then they also there are a lot of if you look at what's actually done in nlp or um, today in companies, enterprise, what's in production. Like, again, I don't have any stats, but I would say like information extraction systems are probably, you know, the majority of uh, what's in production today also because that's the stuff that has been working pretty reliably for quite a while now. So, right. um, and actually a lot of these things are also things that companies were doing way before machine learning and even way before like computers in some cases. Like there's just like, stuff and text and someone needs to go and like order that somehow right. with all kinds of different objectives and people would write index cards and like punch cards and did all kinds of stuff and then did stuff manually and now there's more you can automate or helping humans perform tasks like it's not just all automation it's like an analyst would previously make more mistakes and it'd be less efficient and now they can use suggestions and work faster right. stuff like that and i think these are just a, a lot of the fundamental problems and i don't think this is all you know everyone's now just gonna stop what they're doing and replace that with like um you know a large language model like that doesn't really you know that's not really in my opinion the path like a reasonable path um it's just that like hey we have more um tools now 
to actually solve these problems even better. But the problems remain the problems. And there is definitely still quite a gap if you're looking at the predictive tasks, like going from this from a generative model or like a model that's trained with in-context learning. So really that's kind of the distinction I want to make because people now call BERT an LLM and it's like, and it makes the discussion really, and it is yeah, an LLM murky. maybe, but it makes it really difficult. It's murky. It's, it's like a little murky. What people are referring had, to as it. Yes. Yeah. And it's like, oh, by that definition, well, then we've all had LLMs in production for years. Is that right. <laughs> um, what's new, but basically in context learning and um, transfer learning. Right. And yeah, you know, if you look at, yeah, the performance of a generative model where then you kind of have to find the right output, parse it, and try to really make it do like a predictive task, named entity recognition, text classification, anything structured. Um, the models don't, there's still a lot of room for improvements. And, um, you know, it, like these, the large, even, you know, the newest large language models don't perform as well as, um, you know, maybe some of the hype would suggest. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, so. We've done we've done some experiments like for um, you know a recent talk I did on the topic where we just um, basically took um, some data sets benchmark data sets from research for different text classification problems um, look evaluated um, just GPT out of the box um, on it and on the um, evaluation data and then trained on different portions of the data to see like how many examples do we need to beat that accuracy and it's um you know maybe we can we can link the slide in the in the show notes like the, the we've always we've, we've been meaning to publish this properly but we haven't because there's so much other stuff but basically for simple problems like news text or even sentiment um out of the box accuracy is really you know pretty good um and you know quite impressive but even with a few percent of the data you can beat that and so you just need you know with some labeled examples you can still exceed that and especially on like harder problems like banking you can really see um that well out of the box still impressive accuracy given that you know it wasn't trained to do this at all but um you know it can very easily beat that and even if you know if you take that position that hey these models are going to get even bigger and even better and even more efficient it's like well but at the same time also um so do the other techniques we can use to you know always take it one step further and there's clearly this advantage in um you know transfer learning learning by example that you know we can exploit in order to build something even better and smaller and that's I don't know. That's the kind of stuff I find exciting or more exciting than um, how can we, I don't know, replace everything with ChatGPT. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You brought up so many great points. Um, I'm, <laughs> um, I would encourage listeners to listen to two of your talks, um, large language models from prototype to production and um, incorporating LLMs into practical NLP. Um, the idea of using generative models not necessarily for your solution in production, but using generative models to, and in context learning, to help you gain labeled data, to then fine tune models that you have control of. That's my, and I think we share we share that. <laughs> um, it, it also resonates with people. Like I've always at conferences, I do talk to, um, you know, developers and, you know, it generally makes sense. It's not just, you know, oh, me going on stage and right. saying some crazy stuff. And um, similarly, also companies we talk to and work with, um, like 
you know, not for all use cases. And there are lots of new things that, of course, the generative capabilities add. And there's a whole whole other areas like chatbots that we're not, you know, really, um, you know, invested in or working much in. But um, they're definitely, I think, you know, a lot of use cases where that sort of workflow really resonates. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, it's about having control. Um, not that I need to have control over everything, but it's about having yeah. control. <laughs> it's about having the control over your model. Um, you know, the server being down isn't going to stop you from making predictions, right? That doesn't cut it for your clients. And um, in actuality, I mean, companies just want you to solve their business problem. They don't necessarily care the algorithm behind it that does it. So if you're able to create a way of extracting information in a way that provides them whatever the actionable insights that that they're looking for, yeah. then you then you can, you know, get closer to your goal. And that's a lot of the problems that I deal with these predictive problems of you know, ex extracting extracting information, bringing structure to this unstru unstructured text, which is a lot of, you know, NLP. And yeah, you know, all of the generative side of things, it's it, it's different and it has different use cases. Um, for, for my work, it's helped me build up data sets and it's helped me validate my predictions sometimes. Like I, I kind of try to yeah. use it, you know, in the loop, which I know is something that, um, you know, Prodigy is having LLMs in the loop, which is exciting and amazing to, you know, be able to use the, you know, the, the, new, the newest things. Um, yeah, so it, it, it's incredible what's going on in the field. Um, and I want to zoom out uh, to learning from machine learning. Welcome, that's where we are. Um, I have a couple of questions um, in this vein. So who who are the people in the machine learning field that, that influence you? Yeah, so I don't want to, you know, go like, yeah, I think the... A classic answer to this would be to rattle off like some, you know, big names or people, you know, on the internet. But um, I actually think even in my, you know, my day to day life or, you know, what inspires or influences me in the work I'm doing um, is actually seeing a lot of the use cases or people who come in from like, you know, really specific domain that they know a lot about and then seeing them like pick up the tools and build something. And often, you know, again, we already talked about like some interesting use cases of like Spacey or like Prodigy with like cows and horses, but there are also so many other like um, areas and domains that like I know nothing about. And then, you know, there's so many people who like, you know, really have like this deep understanding and come in with a problem and succeed at solving it because, you know, they like they pick up the tools they're really doing it for a purpose. And um, I feel like these these things keep coming up and people, you know, I keep, you know, meeting and talking to people who, you know, kind of came into the field that way. And I think um, it definitely also shapes how I think about the tools I'm building and uh, the work I'm doing. Very cool. Yeah, I mean, it's, there will never be, like problems aren't gonna go away. Right, people are just gonna want to apply it to different um, areas, and one of the interesting um, branches of NLP is applying a lot of the, you know, cutting edge research and things that are done a lot on like English language and applying it to other languages where there's not, you know, I don't know, 
what on yeah. hugging face there's probably tens of thousands if not more data you know english data sets yeah. um so yeah having tools in your tool in your toolbox like spacey and prodigy and being able to apply it to to other languages that that that's yeah that that's a really interesting use case and it makes you think about things in a in a different way yeah uh, so if, continuing learning from machine learning um I'm not going to ask general advice, but <laughs> what advice would you give yourself when you were starting out in your career, you know, or maybe when you were starting Explosion? Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, you get like, you know, you can kind of take it full circle. It's like, would I have listened to my own <laughs> um, <laughs> advice at the time? Would I even give myself advice? But I don't know. I mean, it, it's difficult because, you know, you always have the, you know, kind of hindsight bias and survivorship bias. And they're like just a lot of these kind of biases that, um, you know, make you interpret things that went well or didn't go so well and, I don't know, draw conclusions from it. So I don't know. It could be that, like, hey, my, you know, whatever I concluded is, like, really bad advice. But I do think there is some element of, um, I don't know, trusting my instincts uh, or trust your instincts more and, like, you know, really do that because... Um, but it's also difficult because, you know, you don't want to... If you're doing things that are opinionated or a bit like different and you know you have these ideas that like make total sense to you and are like super reasonable and I'm like of course should do it that way you also don't want to you know lose sight of you know other things you might be missing and you want to be open to suggestions or you want to be open um, especially in later stages of your company to think about like oh here's how this is normally done maybe you know we you know maybe we should, you don't want to be stubborn um, because that can also have, you know, bad outcomes. But I definitely feel like there were, you know, situations where, you know, it would have helped, like, you know, I, like my instincts were there and it was all reasonable and logical and it's easy, you know, I, I let myself get carried away, um, you know, trying to, trying out something else and trying to be, you know, open to, the way of doing whatever it was that we were facing and right even though it didn't make sense and the outcome was that yeah well what did you expect it didn't make sense right i mean yeah hindsight is 2020 right yeah. um and yeah it's interesting well two things like when you're working on something, first off, like how involved you're in it. And sometimes like you put these blinders on and then maybe yeah. like you might ignore some of the other factors um, that are happening, but that, yeah, that- Yeah, that's... and I also, I don't know everything. I mean, it's like, I was still, you know, I was still relatively young when we started the company. It's, you know, my the first time I founded a company and yes, I've had like jobs before, I've, I've freelanced before, but like, this is, you know, not something I've done before and I'm operating off, um, you know, what's reasonable and what's logical and, you know, drawing conclusions and then also making, you know, making decisions. Like if you're thinking about what product should I build or what, um, what feature is it that people need? Like you have to make a decision and you have to be right. 
and um, then you kind of you know check your track record and if you're mostly right that's good and you want to be right most of the time and not wrong and if you're always wrong that's bad but um, <laughs> you know that's not really again that's also something you can't really you know that's not um, you know a playbook to operate by it's like be less wrong be more right right but that's ultimately what it comes down to <laughs> Yeah, that works, but it's like there's no formula for doing. Yeah. There's no formula for doing that, and no, exactly. And I feel like in terms of like looking at you know where's the market going and what types of what I think how are things developing, how's technology developing? We've been our track record's pretty good. Like we've always you know kind of you know things have developed the way you know we predicted they would develop. I mean, not in you know not because. Yeah, we have like these amazing, you know, prediction abilities, but more because pay hey, it all made sense, right? It's logical. And so we're like, okay, we feel pretty good on that. Then there, you know, there are lots of other areas of like, how do you do a thing? How do you um, you know, scale up things that previously worked well? Um, how do you, you know, grow a team, grow the right team, decide what to focus on? Um and you know those are all things that are hard and i think again there's no there's no playbook like every every time we you know deviate from you know something and do what feels right and makes sense it, you know it usually makes sense and it is usually you know the you know the most logical next yeah. step that, may, so that it's makes all a bit abstract or philosophical but that's basically no um, that, it yeah. makes it makes a lot of sense um yeah, I mean, you know, trusting trusting your gut, trusting your instincts, um, <clears throat> thinking logically about things. You know, sometimes you just know, like deep down inside. Maybe you don't have like the data to show it, but you just kind of, you know, you you know, you know, like what what it's going to yeah. be. Yeah, like uh, I actually, this is my reminder. I don't know, it's mirror, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> oh, and and the uh, uh, a logic. Um, and reason a logic tattoo yeah, see, and, and reason i see that when i um there you when go I so type. yeah that's that's awesome um yeah i mean a reminder of logic and reason it'll get a lot of people a, a long way um <laughs> i'm gonna flip the last question and i'm gonna say what's one piece of advice that you've received that stuck with you um either for your startup or just you know your career in general yeah, I think, I don't know if it's exactly, if it's like, yeah, um, advice I specifically received, but like to go back a bit, like I, you know, before I, you know, went into tech and really, you know, started my career, I was kind of, you know, I didn't really know what to do with myself. And I was young and like, uh, you know, living on my own. And I got really into like self-help um, kind of stuff. And, um, you know, it's all a bit cringy, you know, if you think about it. And, um, you know, it's definitely, I think when, it was always weird, but when I when I really caught on and was like, this is really bullshit, like, you know, the kind of the secret-esque like mm -hmm. stuff is like, I just refuse to, um, you know, believe in the universe. Like that's kind of where it like stopped. There are a lot of things where you can be like, oh, psychology and I guess blah, blah, blah. But then if it's like, when it comes, came to the universe, I was like, well, no, like the universe is not gonna, I don't know, reward me with whatever okay. I'm manifesting and that kind of bullshit. Like the, yeah. So, I, and you know, I kind of, I think I also wrote about this on my blog and I got, I kind of got, yeah, to this point where I was like, okay, no, I just need to kind of get my shit together and like take responsibility 
for my life and um you know this whole like you know follow your dreams type thing and manifest um stuff that's like you know that's not working and that, that kind of also led me to reading more like um I don't know more kind of career or business minded things that had never appealed to me before like um you know I never really saw myself as like wanting to have a career or like it, it just a lot of these things like yeah would have felt really wrong to me before that but after going through this whole like um you know shift um after refusing to believe in the universe um <laughs> that really I don't know I think it, it woke up my entrepreneurial spirit or like really also that like hey things can be pretty simple like you can I mean it's not like nothing is easy but like hey if there is something you can create that like people can pay some money for you can live off that and right. um like okay you just have to you know you can have these ideas and you can actually do these things and um you know you can if you if it's something you enjoy you can actually you know you don't have it just yeah you, know, you don't have to like force yourself to like um work but like it actually makes sense if you're like passionate about it yes right. you can work more and more and more and then maybe at some point in the future I can you know take some time off when I'm like um sick of it and uh need a break and there were a lot of there's a lot of this sort of you know mindset um that yeah I discovered through that whole um experience of like not really knowing what to do with myself and I do think that has definitely influenced me a lot um you know yeah. when we started the company and now we're actually like yeah running a business I th yeah I think that that's that's great thank you for sharing that um I can definitely relate I I think that there's I'm not sure if everyone goes through it or experiences it but like there comes a time when you sort of realize like no one's going to do it for you, right? Like yeah. you're, you, like you're, you're the one, this is your life and kind of just taking responsibility for your actions. And then if you're lucky or maybe luck's not the word, but to find something internal that can kind of like, you know, drive you, which is, you know, something, yeah. I mean, this, this type of work that we're doing is, I mean, it's fascinating. I mean, I, I find a natural language processing machine learning fascinating. I was willing to create a podcast about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. And I think there's also, you know, that then ties into that's That's also, you know, of course we're also very, um, you know, privileged or like, you know, I certainly am or being in this industry, it's like, um, you know, of course, like things, you know, the world is not fair and it's like we happen to be working in this industry where like what what we are doing is um very valuable and um you know often in ways that are like um you know a pretty stark contrast to other things and um you know and also other parts of like every individual story like in my case yes i was able to not take some more risks because i was young i don't have any dependents and even now, um, I'm like, you know, I have, you know, different options um, than other people and, you know, then other people are, dis are like advantaged in other ways. So, you know, for example, my co-founder, Matt, he also makes sure to always point out, hey, he got, when he started Spacey, he got an inheritance from like a small inheritance, but um, it allowed him to take some time off and really focus on writing an open source library because like that is not like, you know, something people can just 
do like you know you you need to be able to live somehow and you know then really go down this nerdy path of saying like oh i'll start i implement this library that kind of doesn't really exist yet from scratch and i start you know i implement it in cython which is this you know even back then even more like somewhat more obscure language that compiles uh, that looks like python and compiles to c extensions and I start with the data structures. <laughs> That's like, you know, true story. And right. but they're still super stable. Like it was worth it, but it's still, again, like doing, um, you know, I really, and again, I think maybe also comes from like my, you know, disdain for like the self-help narratives, but like, you know, I really don't want any of these things to be turned into this aspirational story of like, oh, quit your job and write an open source library. It's like, yes, you can do that, but you know, this. There are a lot of circumstances that go into that. Yeah, I mean, it makes it makes a lot of sense. The unfortunate reality, you know, everyone doesn't have the same opportunities and resources. Yeah. But I mean, it's also it's important to make the most of of those things and to make the most of of those opportunities. Um, so yeah, you know, th there's there's something to it. And I mean, we were we've been touching on it, um, but the last, you know, really really good one. What is a career um, in machine learning and software taught you about life? Yeah, I mean, we kind of we were almost. I like know there, we kind of right? did it. Like we I did it already, but I have to ask it. Thinking, but also, yeah, I mean, also with like you know, so many things going on, good or bad. Like you know, I don't want this to sound too depressing, but it's like, well, life is hard, and the world is kind of, um, you know, hard and uh, unfair, and you know, with privilege also comes responsibility and. But at the same time, it's also good, you know, to be able to you know, create something that's valuable and like, um, you know, do do things that are like not terrible and, you know, not, <laughs> <laughs> not um, in, and, you know, again, yeah, I think that's like, sorry for ending ending your podcast on like this. Um, do things you know, that are really, not terrible? No, it's yeah. Fine. This really negative, really <laughs> downer note, but um, yeah. No, it's it's all it's all good. There's so many things that we were able to go into and and unpack. There's going to be tons of great things for for listeners, so no no, no worries. Um, Ines, it's been such a pleasure. Um, if somebody wants to learn more about Explosion or or your work, uh, where where would you lead them? Well, our website, explosion.ai, or my website, which is enus.io. <laughs> um, and yeah, we can put that in the show notes. Um, that's kind of where we, you know, where we collect all the things. You could find us on various social media, um, on GitHub. Um, you can, you know, check out our projects, whatever you're interested in. Awesome. Oh, and of course, like conferences, like check out our events page, which is on our website, which is where we um yeah um list upcoming events like PyData New York City for example yes. that um yeah I don't know if you if I'll see you there I will yeah. see you there yes yeah but <laughs> conferences like that and uh talks that are upcoming because it's really nice to yeah also meet people in person again yeah um that that's great Ines I Really appreciate the time. Um, thank you for answering my questions, letting me pick your brain, and um, really thank you for all of the great work um, that you're doing with Explosion. It's 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 much appreciated. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks. Thanks again for having me. This was a lot of fun.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Learning from Machine Learning with the inspiring Ines Montani, co-founder and CEO of Explosion, the company behind Spacey. Ines shared so many fascinating insights into machine learning, open source development, and building a successful company in this emerging field. Don't miss out on the resources in the show notes. If you enjoyed this chat, don't forget to subscribe and share with friends and colleagues. Thanks for listening, and until next time, keep on learning.